This talk was given by Shyla Catherine. For more information and a schedule of her events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. So tonight I wanted to explore emotions and actually mindfulness of feeling our emotions. Because this image of like a wooden Buddha just sort of sitting there might be what we think of as a Buddhist meditator, but we have a lot more feelings <laughs> than what that image is experiencing right now, which is nothing, it's wood. So we're not just like blank, even, unemotional blobs sitting here. We have a whole dynamic inner life going on. And that experience of life and that experience of meditative life is rarely even. And it really shouldn't be. And I don't think we would even want it to be. Human beings have a tremendous capacity to feel emotions, to feel a full range of emotions. And some are very difficult to bear, and some are quite delightful. Some can be so subtle that we hardly notice them, and some can be so intense that we can't notice anything else. This capacity to feel a wide range of emotions might be one of the great blessings of the human life. Because every conscious moment that we experience is characterized by a cluster of what the Abhidhamma would call, the Buddhist psychology would call, associated mental factors that flavor that state. Now, when we read the discourses of the Buddha and when we explore Buddhist psychology, they don't use the terms emotion. But they talk about mental states and the factors of mind that contribute to and constitute mental states. It basically means emotions. So there is no question that emotions are arising. They're mental states. Every conscious moment is characterized by a quality of mind. So what is the quality of our experience? our mental experience, our emotional experience? Do we feel balanced and open and tranquil, receptive, grateful, connected, loving, steady, attentive, kind? Or do we feel confused, angry, irritable, grumpy, fearful, timid? What is our experience? Sometimes when we think of emotions, we think of the really strong ones like just, you know, hatred and anger and sadness and fear and grief, maybe lust. But in meditation, we experience many subtle positive emotions, emotions like gratitude, like joy, compassion, peace, love, rapture, calmness. And these are not only experienced in our meditation, but when we go outside and 
maybe see a, an injured bird in the uh, park. We might experience compassion. When we step out and take a breath of cool, fresh air, we might feel that kind of like delight of that invigorating experience of appreciation. And the appreciation, just in taking a breath, can sometimes be so strong that we really appreciate being alive. An intense kind of delight to just be alive, to have woken up this morning, to have a chance to cultivate good things in our life, to cultivate wholesome states in our day. Maybe we see something very simple, ordinary, an ant carrying a big leaf or a spider weaving a web, and we feel inspired. And that inspiration may cause us to want to really accomplish something with our lives, to make the necessary effort, perhaps, to awaken. So sometimes we experience things that trigger an emotional response that then inspire further actions. And sometimes we experience a deep calmness, an equanimity, and it inspires us to sit longer. It inspires us to just feel the breath and to pause, to take a moment to be with our experience and enjoy the stillness, that really quiet, delicious stillness that can happen in meditation, to experience the tranquility. All kinds of states of mind can pass through a meditation period. You know, if we watch the emotional life, it, we could be experiencing lots of things because almost any thought that arises can be flavored with a different emotion. But even when thoughts are not arising very much and the mind is very calm and tranquil, even then the mental states can shift and change and we can experience different qualities of beautiful states like happiness and rapture, delight and bliss. There are different forms of what we might call pleasure or in Pali, sukha. When these subtle forms of happiness or wholesome states arise, we can notice them. We don't need to fear these states. The Buddha taught that these states of happiness that arise in association with the development of our mind should not be feared. There's nothing to be attached to and to grasp here. There's no problem with them. In fact, they are very wholesome, powerful states, and we can get to know those subtle, joyful emotions. So we opened to them. We've learned to feel them fully. We infuse the heart, the mind, the body with peacefulness, with calmness, with compassion, with spiritual joy. We accept that bliss. We can completely open to these healthy, to these healing aspects of the emotional landscape and really embrace them as part of our emotional landscape. To not keep thinking that emotions just means the unwholesome ones of anger and lust and hate and fear. 
We need to look at those subtle emotions, those wholesome ones, and not push away the subtle feelings, assuming that it would be more productive if we tackled a personal problem or overcame some intense or had some intense cathartic experience. Too often we skip over this subtle because there's so much more dramatic that pulls our attention. But when we sit in meditation, we can welcome the non-dramatic. We can allow ourselves to feel the experiences that arise naturally with the development of mindfulness and with the deepening of our concentration. This can bring an allowing quality, an accepting attitude, a non-grasping way of being with the flow of changing mental state. We can allow our attention to pervade the experience of any mental state, even the most subtle ones. And as those states change, we can observe how they change without clinging. We can know what mental state is present and how it changes. We can know those times when gratitude, calmness, tranquility arise when those wholesome states are present. And we can also, of course, know those times when they're absent. And terror and sorrow and agitation and dullness and desperation and resentment and craving and confusion and jealousy and arrogance and insecurity all dominate our experience. Okay, we've had moments like that once in a while. Many times when we look at these two lists, perhaps, we say, I want the first list and I don't want the second list. Fair enough. I think any wise person would recognize the difference between the wholesome and the unwholesome and choose for the wholesome. Great. But if the unwholesome arises, we can't deny it. We have to just bring the attention to say, okay, This is what's happening now. Look at this irritation. Look at this sense of desperation. Look at this agitation. Look at this sorrow, this grief, this sadness. And we can then, through the wonder of our mindfulness, actually experience some kind of appreciation for the capacity that we have to experience and to bear whatever emotion arises. We can trust the capacity of our heart and know that it is spacious enough to not only recognize the things that we like, the things that we know, but to also be willing to meet the experiences that we may not like so much and meet the experiences that are difficult with some degree of mindfulness and to try to bring some wisdom to meet that experience. The challenge with difficult emotions is that very often they're so difficult that we don't want to know them. And so we're not mindful of them. And so they're never transformed by wisdom. They're not informed by our understanding. But often they're so strong that we can't avoid them. So it's more like an experience of 
denying them, pretending that they're not really there. Sometimes it feels like when we're not really mindful of an emotion that we just remove ourselves a little bit from the experience. And how do we do that? The simplest and most common way is by instead of being mindful of the emotion, we retell the story. We dwell in the concept that keeps feeding and triggering the emotional state. We find ourselves repeatedly telling ourselves, oh, that terrible thing that somebody said to us, or planning how we're going to get our revenge. And through repeatedly replaying and rehearsing what we're going to do and what just happened, we might succeed in removing ourselves just slightly from what anger and fear feel like in the body. We remove ourselves from what is actually happening in this present moment, in our experience of the body. And when we stay locked in the concept, the concept and the story of what happened in the past, creating an imagined future of what we want to happen, we disconnect from the authenticity of feeling what is really happening now. As we develop mindfulness, we learn to drop out of the stories that sustain agitation and blame, that sustain anger and resentment, craving and greed, grief and sorrow. And we use the composure of the meditation posture to investigate what's actually happening. Can we recognize this emotion Can we name it? Can we see it for what it is? Can we understand what are the conditions that give rise to it? How did it come about? It didn't just come out of thin air. There are causes and conditions for the arising of every mental state. Was there a thought, a trigger, a sound, a a quality of attention that allowed an unwholesome mental state to arise? How does that state change? What fuels it? What arises with it? What never arise with it? We can look at the unwholesome states and we can also look at the wholesome states because they don't arise without a condition too. What is the condition? What are the causes for calmness, for tranquility, for gratitude, for loving kindness and compassion to arise? Let's really understand those conditions. And then perhaps when we understand the conditions that give rise to wholesome states, we'll be even more diligent with cultivating those conditions in our lives. In my systematic approach to meditation, when I was doing a a systematic training with Venerable Pawak Sayadaw, he would have me bring to mind unwholesome states to actually trigger them to think something that would cause an unwholesome state and also a wholesome state to arise so that I could carefully, within the stillness of the sitting posture, analyze the wholesome states and analyze the unwholesome states, understand what they arose with and what never arises with them, understand what are their constituent factors and what is absent in those states. 
Notice what causes them to arise and what causes them to cease. To just really thoroughly try to understand as much as I possibly could with detail about unwholesome states like anger and greed and conceit and restlessness and doubt and remorse. And to really also understand the wholesome states that are supported by tranquility and equanimity, rapture and joy, that are supported by wisdom, by compassion. And so we would sit in meditation and trigger a sequence of unwholesome states and then a sequence of wholesome states, some of the Brahma-viharas and some based upon clear seeing and wisdom and insight. And then try then other unwholesome states and then more wholesome states and unwholesome states and more, more wholesome states. It was a very analytical form of meditation, but it was a very interesting series of exercises because it helped me to understand emotions in a, in a much more precise and clearer way. We can do that when we're in sitting meditation. And then any time emotions arise in activity, in conversation, while working, when we stand, when we walk, then the understanding of those states is even clearer. But perhaps you don't have to go through all the systematic checklists. I mean, I had a checklist of a whole bunch of, uh, there were 52 mental factors. I had to identify their presence and absence in each mental state really fast. So it was like an exercise. It really was a meditative exercise. And I had to get through like lists of factors. So first I had to memorize the lists and then I had to analyze them all in kind of like which is present, which is absent, which is cause. Okay, okay. And then report on it. So you have to be a little bit concentrated to want to do that kind of mental exercise. But I think from the perspective of lay life and the activities that we do, we do that kind of precision usually at work. And when we sit to meditate, most of the time we don't want to work that same way. (laughs) Fair enough. But we could ask ourselves a few questions. We can sit and ask, what am I feeling? What is this experience? Is it wholesome? Is it unwholesome? And why do I think it is or isn't? What are the mental factors that always are present with unwholesome states? And I'll give you a clue. According to the Abhidhamma, you'll always find delusion and restlessness in every unwholesome state. So just knowing that, you can just look for that and entertain yourself for months. (laughs) But then you might wonder, well, what about those wholesome states? And it's very interesting to look and to see a wholesome state, to see, well, when and how does wisdom arise? Or when and how does joy arise? And when and how does equanimity arise in the experience of a wholesome state? Because we can have wholesome states with and without joy, with and without wisdom, with and without, well, actually, equanimity of some form is always present in every wholesome state. We'll also find in every wholesome state a sense of what's called well, non-greed and non-hate, but also virtue qualities. The quality that is, it's, they're called in Pali, hiri and otapa, which are an unwillingness to do wrong. 
and there's an internal self-respect that keeps us from doing wrong, and then there's the concern of what other people would think that keeps us from doing wrong. And we'll find those qualities in every wholesome state, and they will not arise in any unwholesome state. So when we're angry, we'll notice they're absent. When we're feeling lustful, we'll notice they're absent. When we're feeling compassion, we'll notice their presence. So it's very interesting to just explore these various kinds of mental states. But in our practice, in daily life practice, probably the the most useful tool that I find is not really to go through Abhidhamma lists. I like to do that when I'm in sitting meditation. But much of the emotions that we experience occur in ordinary life, like in conversations. So whatever we're feeling, we can always tune into the experience in the body. How do we experience the emotion in the body? Maybe there's a state of kind of tightness or contraction. Maybe there's a sense of insecurity or butterflies or quivering or shaking. Maybe there's some kind of change of heat or pressure. And we can let the attention move into the somatic experience, into the embodied experience of the emotion. When we do this, we are also connecting with present experience. We are not lost anymore in the story. So this is another way to drop out of the story and to drop into the present moment experience of the body connected with emotion, connected with mental states. There's always a correlation between body and mind. We can never know the body without the mind, and any time we know the mind, we are also experiencing some aspect, or at least there's a functioning body. And we tried that little experiment with just sitting. Did you notice any shift in your emotions when you smiled or when you frowned? Some of you have probably attended the day long that we do about once a year with Lisa Tromovich, a director and teacher of theater arts. She's founder of the Livermore Shakespeare Company. And I know some of you have attended her workshop because I invite her to teach at Insight Meditation South Bay about once a year. She'll be coming in March. And she does a workshop on dynamic awareness where I teach the meditation and mindfulness and she teaches a dynamic exercises. And sometimes we do exercises about tuning into emotions because in the theater arts, it's very important that actors be able to really embody the experience of the emotion because if not, they would be very unconvincing, right? But it's also important that they not cling to that because if they go home in character, there's going to still be, a, you know, there's going to be some kind of a problem, right? So they have to fully experience the emotion and a second later completely be clear of it, completely drop it. And that's possible to do by tuning into the bodily experience. And a couple of times she's introduced exercises that involve gestures. And we would do gestures, make gestures, and feel the different emotions. And it's very interesting, I find, to do from a meditative perspective, to maybe make a gesture of pleading or of a contraction or of opening and feel 
the changes that happen in your own body. Like, try that. Just, like, relax back for a moment. How do you feel? Open out. Now lift up. You know, sit upright. Lean forward with interest. Do you feel a little bit more interested? Now, if you get all tight, do you feel a little bit protected, almost fearful, maybe? Timid. Sometimes you can use these kind of, or pleading, you know. If you're off balance, you can shift your emotional experience. And sometimes just by tuning into the body, we get clues as to what's happening in the mind. We're not controlled by these. Like I said, the actor is a good example because they're not controlled by whatever their character is. You know, you can experience, use it to connect with that experience because we all have the capacity to experience any emotion and then completely drop it, not clinging. But I thought there was a very interesting study that I read in Richard Davidson's book, The Emotional Life of Your Brain, that described an experiment that was tracking women who had had Botox treatments that paralyzed the facial muscles in order to, you know, like, tighten up, and it prevented frowning, basically. (laughs) It involved the frowning muscles that tightened them so that they didn't really frown so much. And what the experiment was was that they asked these women before the treatments and after the treatments to read some emotionally charged statements. And then they somehow clocked how long it took them to both read and to comprehend the meaning of these statements. And the same women were much slower at reading and comprehending after the Botox treatments than they were before for the unwholesome negative emotions, the ones that involved frowning. But for the happy emotions, there was no difference. And it seemed to indicate that the body might just slightly make a frowning gesture, perhaps, or use the muscles to help the mind recognize the emotion. And that if we don't make those little gestures, it's a little bit harder. It takes a little bit longer to recognize even what we're feeling. So we know part of the way that we know and recognize our own emotions is because we may not even be aware of it, but we're probably using clues, physical clues, muscular clues within our own experience that we have already learned to associate with different emotions. So why not be mindful of that? Why not include that into the field of our awareness? We can let our attention rest in the changing and dynamic experience of our own gestures, of our own movements, and how they manifest with different emotions. This can also help us be grounded in the changing present experience of the emotion and not be lost in the conceptual narrative of the story. This can allow the emotion to be experienced fully and allow it to change so that we can know the whole 
flow of changing emotions in our lives, not through the stories of past and future events, but instead by feeling the energetic changes throughout the body, the energetic changes throughout the mind, and understanding the qualities and characteristics, experiences, and effects of any mental state. So maybe at some point this week you might have uh, some thought going that was a story of blame or of annoyance or of restlessness, of agitation, of impatience. Okay, drop out of the story and say, what's happening in the body? Maybe you feel some tightness, some quivering. Maybe there's some tension in the jaw or the face. Notice then, how does that change? How does those sensations change? And as they change, how is the emotions changing? As the emotions changing, how are the sensations in the body changing? Can we allow the emotion to change? Sometimes when we feel angry, we don't stay angry. Anger might change sometimes to fear, sometimes to shame, to pity, to sadness, to worry, to blame, to impatience sometimes to embarrassment, to appreciation, to gratitude. We can trust the capacity of our own heart to be present with emotion and to observe its change so that we don't fear emotion arising. We know it comes and we know it goes. We know it can arise and be known and we know that it can end. It doesn't need to determine you know, the quality of our entire day and certainly not the quality of our character as a human being or the character of our lives. We can trust ourselves to even feel strong emotions because when we can trust ourselves to feel them, then we won't be so compelled to act on them. I think we might act on anger because we haven't been able to fully be present with it, to actually bear the burning feeling of it, and to see it arise, and to see it pass within ourselves like a wave. And so we act on it. We put the blame on something out there. We try to get rid of it, which unfortunately only keeps perpetuating more and more anger. What about the next time you experience anger, just to stay in whatever posture you're in? If you were standing, just keep standing. If you're sitting, just keep sitting and feel it until it crests and it passes. Sometimes we can experience this with sadness and grief. We might feel like, oh, we've been very sad all day. But really? I don't think people are sad all day. There might be a moment when we touched the door handle and it felt cold. And in that moment of almost a shocking cold on the metal, there was no sadness. There was just coldness. Or maybe there was the smell of toast and there was just like a subtle delight. Or maybe in the midst of, of, of that day, there was a bird twittering, and there was some joy, even for a moment. 
when we can experience sadness to come also just like a wave, then it arises, it's felt, and it passes like a wave of grief that is known, but it does not kind of co-opt and hijack our minds. Fear might arise. Do we have the courage to feel the fear? To really recognize that inner uncertainty, that maybe inner trembling, insecurity perhaps, timidity, and to feel fear in the body, to know it as just fear without being afraid to feel the fear. We don't need to indulge in the emotion. Indulgence means grasping. It means hanging on to it. It means feeding it. But we also don't need to push the emotion away. We don't need to be afraid of feeling it. We don't need to have aversion to it. Through meditation, we learn that we can remain balanced in the face of whatever experiences arise, pleasant or painful. We might experience a subtle, profound peacefulness. Or we might experience volcanic rage. Sometimes both in the same day. Can we know both of them? Can we have the courage to feel our experiences of emotion directly and intimately without distancing ourselves through the story and being willing instead to just feel the bare experience of emotions in the present moment, in the body now. It takes energy and determination to stay in the stillness of our meditation posture and to allow the waves of the emotion to pass through. Too often when we can't do that, we get up from the meditation We go do something. We try to act or speak or distract ourselves from it. But if we have strong emotion, I really encourage you to explore sometimes, not always, but sometimes explore that emotion in the stillness of sitting or a stable standing posture to really get to know it for yourself, your own intimate, internal experience of emotion so that we really bring the emotional landscape into the field of our mindfulness practice. It doesn't matter if they're subtle or coarse, if they're what we might call positive or negative states, wholesome or unwholesome. We can know the experience that we're having. If we're in a tizzy about something, feeling, oh, so agitated, well, look for the pauses, look for the spaces, look for the shifts and the changes. Because that idea of, I'm in a tizzy about this, has a lot of grasping in it, a lot of identification. The I am the emotion. The emotion is defining who I am. And all of that is way too much of a burden. Let it be just a wave that comes through and is known, a breeze that blows through the mind just as a breeze might blow through the air and we feel its quality, we feel its coolness. 
When we work with emotion, most people do tend to focus on those strong, coarse, unwholesome emotions. So please try to notice also those subtle, wholesome states, the calmness, the tranquility, the joy, rapture, equanimity, ease, peace, compassion. Give them attention. Do you know how compassion feels in the body? Do you recognize tranquility in your own experience of the body? How does the body feel when it's calm? On Saturday, my tooth cracked, like half the tooth fell off. I thought it was a seed in an orange, so I swallowed it. I thought, ah, it's just a seed. And then I thought, something's weird. <laughs> so uh, today I, I had the, the dentist appointment. It's like a three-part session of fixing it. So anyway, one part happened today. And you know, I was talking with the nurse or the a dental a, assistant about the, the numb because it was numb for like five hours. Oh, I didn't think it would last that long. Anyway, I asked how long it was going to last. And she said, well, it depends upon how calm you are. She said, um, you're kind of calm. She said, you seem kind of calm, so it might last a little longer. And it did. I mean, it lasted from 9 o'clock until 2 o'clock. That's a long time to, like, like have no feeling except that, that weird, weird, that's a long time. Anyway, she said that um, if people are really agitated and nervous, then the adrenaline in their system and the agitation, she says it burns off really quickly, like even before they get out of the office. (laughs) And people who are really calm, it tends to like last for a really long time because the, I don't know, it doesn't burn off or the body doesn't process it or something. So there is physiological things happening with the emotions. But I think the next time I go, I'm going to make a point of getting really agitated. (laughs) Or I'm going to tell him to use less. <laughs> so when we practice mindfulness of the emotion, a mindfulness brings a kind of an attentive quality to our experience that is not subtle. It actually can be quite a radical transformation to go from being identified with our emotions to simply being aware of them to being mindful of them. Liberation is not equated with an absence of emotion. We might discover that as we free our minds, we free our minds to feel the emotions that are happening. And sometimes that opens up the most subtle and glorious of emotions to really fully feel peacefulness to really fully feel compassion. And then when there's some intense, more maybe unwholesome experience, okay, we feel that too. That's an opportunity to really know dukkha. To really know dukkha. We can have the confidence that we can know any emotion that arises and to know that they have their own duration without needing to fuel them with more stories, without needing to claim them as who we are. They arise and they pass. And then there's another experience that arises and that passes. Emotions don't need to define who we are 
or how we will act. And this is very important because if we're not mindful of our emotions, we might just act on them. We might let anger come out into speech just because we felt angry. Then we start yelling. Well, why? I mean, think about that just for a minute. Just because you feel something, then you start yelling? Is that like wisdom? (laughs) Is that compassion? Is that anything you value? And yet, how many people here have gotten angry and said something that they wish they hadn't? Probably everybody. Mindfulness helps us put in that pause so that we can experience the anger. We're not denying it. But when once we experience it, then we have a lot more choice as to what we let come out in words and in actions. We have the freedom and the ability to know the emotions quite fully without repressing anything. And then, free from the entanglement of the stories, free from the identification with the emotion, we are present, we reflect, and then we respond and act wisely. So those are my comments about feeling emotions. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.